Hey everyone, it's Beth. And I'm Jeff. And this is your Enneagram Coach, the podcast. And we're here to help you to understand yourself with astonishing clarity so that you can break free from self-condemnation, fear, and shame by knowing and experiencing the unconditional love, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. And don't forget, we're also on YouTube. So head over there to watch this podcast and all of our podcasts, but also hit the notification button and the subscribe button so that you won't miss anything new. Well, today we have a special guest with us, Andy Kolber. Andy is a licensed professional counselor. I really wanted to get her last name right there. She's a licensed professional counselor and author and speaker from Grands Rapids, Michigan. She specializes in trauma and body-centered therapies and is passionate about the integration of faith and psychology. And as a survivor of trauma, Andy brings knowledge about the work of change, the power of redemption, and the beauty of experiencing God with us in our pain. Now, back in episode 55, we talked with Andy about her first book, Try Softer, which shows how to move away from trying harder mentality and embracing a gentler, more compassionate approach to life. Uh, She gave us insights on the latest psychology and practical clinical exercises and her own personal story so that we all could be empowered to identify our emotional and relational boundaries, making sense of difficult experiences, and move through Uh, and process our emotions, we learned that trying softer is a path to true connection and joy and is worth the effort to grow in self-compassion and how to redirect our harmful inner critic. If you didn't hear that episode, be sure you go check it out. But today, today we have some really exciting things to talk about uh, because we're going to be chatting about her new book, Strong Like Water, which releases on March 21st. So be sure to go ahead and pre-order a copy today because this is going to be an invaluable, I promise you, this is not simply another theoretical book about understanding your story through cycle. This is something radically different mm-hmm. and it's about what it looks like for you to practice care each and every moment of your day. And we're going to get into some of these, uh, what she calls compassionate resources to be able to rely on. Now, I know you've probably heard the old saying, no pain, no gain. And what doesn't kill you makes you stronger or the other variety of different ways that we spiritually bypass our suffering. Let's be real. Following these can often lead to exhaustion and more suffering. But Andi's got a different perspective on strength. In her book, she talks about how true strength can be like the tide, soft and bold, fierce and gentle. She shares ways that we can move through pain, learn new practices to support us and discover how to internalize connection love and safety to give us greater resilience. So I'm sure you're like me and excited to hear more about this different, more expansive way of healing and strength. So let's dive right in and learn uh, that we were made to be strong like water. Andy, welcome. We're so glad to have you back with us. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's really good to be back with you. Uh, what is it like for you to just hear us describe your story <laughs> and what you've been able to do just by doing your own personal story yeah. work mm-hmm. and now writing about it and helping other people? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I it's it's an honor to hear it. I think um, it it resonates as I hear you speak about it, so I'm grateful for that because you know it it is my book. Um, I think. One of the things I have said often um, as I'm, you know, working on releasing this book is that part of the reason I wanted to write this book and in a way like live this book is because I have long had an ambivalent relationship with my own strength. And you know, in many ways, and I, you know, I write about this in Strong Like Water, that's kind of where we begin, is that I grew up really being the strong one, being a strong one, you know, not that other people don't do that too, but there was a sense in which um, I survived um, a, a pretty significantly traumatic childhood by not needing a lot by being a kiddo who figured it out on their own, who achieved, who in many ways um, appeared to be okay. Um, I sometimes say it's sort of like 
it just so happened that my trauma responses were a little bit more socially acceptable and, and maybe sometimes even uh, got me some types of praise. And so there's a sense in which I'm, I'm like, I have some gratitude. I do have gratitude to even just being able to survive and that, you know, that God designed our bodies to be able to do what they have to do. But I think part of the ambivalence for me has always been that there's also been grief. And the grief comes with the fact that looking and appearing to be strong in a certain way sort of meant, I think, that sometimes people didn't know that I really needed more help than I was getting, that I didn't, um, that it was so isolating to look okay on the outside and be deeply not okay on the inside. And yet it wasn't safe to really be honest about that. And so, yeah, this is a book that um, similarly to Try Softer has a book that I've sort of been writing my my whole life. Um, And so it's really satisfying. I'm going into my 40th year. Oh. Um, Welcome to the and club. There's a, thank you. <laughs> yep. I'm, I'm proud. It's, it's a privilege, right? It's a privilege to age. And um, there's a, I find it feels satisfying to me to sort of produce and birth this book at this sort of very um, meaningful time that there is a, there is a reclamation that I have been going through for quite some time. Um, and it just feels like so honoring to my own story to not only honor my softness, but also, also my strength. Yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome. amazing. It, it reminded me, I remember uh, I was doing some training uh, with Dan Allender and he had us take strength finders, mm. uh, which I thought, oh, that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought about doing that particular exercise in a trauma training class. But then Dan did his typical thing <laughs> where he just kind of blows your mind and he says, oh yeah, you use these strengths to cope with your trauma. And so you'll experience grief and sorrow and shame as you're exerting these strengths that you have because you know how they've protected you, but also you'll experience your glory hmm. uh, as you, because they're also the assets you'll use in living out your calling. I'm like, oh, stink. I don't <laughs> <laughs> I've got all kinds of feelings about this, <laughs> but oh, it 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 does what you shared about uh, why you wrote the book, and uh, it does. I can't remember where the psalms at, but there's some. I remember a psalm that speaks of that that God wants to be known as um, uh, for His loving kindness, but also His incredible strength. Mm. Um, oh, maybe it'll come to me a little bit later. But uh, what a beautiful image, Andy. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, hey, before we dive into the book, Strong Like Water, I'd love to just have you briefly talk about your own journey in discovering the Enneagram in the first place and then your type and how the Enneagram has helped you specifically in your own recovery process. But also maybe if you if you use it um, with your own clients, what that process has been like and what have you noticed? Yeah. Well, so I have been connected to the Enneagram for about almost seven years. Um, and yeah, when I first, um, you know, started to learn about it, some, some folks in our life, um, told us about it and I was really curious about it. Um, and yeah, I think, I think the, those people kind of thought that I was a different number than I now identify with. And so, which is, I think, probably pretty common for especially complex trauma survivors and 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 maybe other folks too but i think because complex trauma survivors are so complex right like there are so many ways that we learn to survive um right which we can sort of identify as parts and different coping strategies um and so yeah but i i really loved um i i've always really appreciated about the Enneagram, that there is a, there is a fluidity to it. There is a movement. I like that a lot because I mean, even, you know, we'll talk about the book, but I love water and I love the imagery 
um, you know, water changes states, but ultimately the flexibility um, that is produced in us when, when we are the most healthy, when we ultimately really feel connected to resources and safety, we become more fluid. And I've always appreciated how the Enneagram sort of creates um, less of this static picture, like here's who you are, the end. And it's a little bit more like here are, you know, here are the possibilities. Like here are things that you may, here are some truths that might anchor you, but here's all the places it could take you. And um, I think that's a real strength of the Enneagram, that it is not a snapshot that is meant to hold you down. But instead, I think it um, helps us honor the fullness of the ways that God has made us. And I think even as we've come to learn through things like trauma, trauma work and trauma-informed perspectives, nervous system, like we are, we are entire universes. (laughs) I mean, like we have, we contain so much. We contain, you know, Walt Whitman said, we contain multitudes. And so I love that it accounts for that. Um, And so in my own journey, what I what I came to land on is um, that I am an, an Enneagram four with a three wing, mm-hmm. and that I am a counter type um, for the self preservation yes. four. Yes, um, which will so, play a big role as we talk more about the book and what you've experienced because the self preservation four is called tenacity, and they have all of the same deep emotions and struggles and um, uh, feeling paralyzed until their emotions are sorted out, but they don't show it outwardly like other fours do. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I wanted to bring that up is because what you said earlier is that people didn't realize how much you were internally struggling because you had this survival technique of the self-preservation four to to be tenacious, to be, uh, to be able to persevere, to be long suffering outwardly, while mm-hmm. inwardly you had a lot that you were processing and working through. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. And and I think that one of the things I have realized into my adulthood is is the difference between even when I'm experiencing things really deeply. And I think I do show that a lot more outwardly than I than I used to, um, but that others are not always experiencing it that way. And so for me, if I'm experiencing something intensely, I think when I was younger, there was a part of me that assumed other people would be picking up on that. And that is definitely not always the case. And, you know, I think when I was growing up um, – I had a few places that I was, that I did feel my feelings deeply and it was maybe more people could potentially see that. Um, but I've always, even still as an adult, I, it's always amazing to me when, I don't know, like just that gap between, like I'm like feeling things so deeply and then I'm like, oh, you don't, oh, that's not the same. Okay. Like, and, and, and so I guess it's just a very interesting experience and it has been a little disorienting at at the beginning of my Enneagram journey because I really felt that I was a four. Um, I had multiple things that reasons why, um, but then I didn't present like other fours. Like I was the person who people were, were like, can you be the leader? Can you, oh, you know what you're doing. Like, like I tended to be someone that people relied on, thought that had the answers. And, you know, that's not a bad thing, but it was like, there were times when I was like, can I not have the answers right now? Cause I'm having big feelings. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's been a really this a breath of fresh air to continue to understand the self-preservation for. Um, I laugh now because I wrote Trace After before I knew that. And I'm like, oh, what a perfect message 
for a self-preservation for, you know, it's like, try harder, keep going. Like, you know, you're, you have to do it all on your own. Like those are the sort of messages of a self-preservation for, and then it's like, but you could try softer, you know? Um, and so it has been healing to learn those things about myself and to, it has built compassion, um, for my own journey. And, and I would just say like with clients, I love, I do really enjoy, um, you know, I don't do it with every single client, but many clients I think have really resonated with the Enneagram. And, and often it's, it's for all the things that I have named, like they can see the parts work within it. Yes. Um, but also I think sometimes when you hear someone give language, to something that you have known mm -hmm. in a visceral sense in your body, mm -hmm. but you never had the words for, mm -hmm. that can be so validating. And, and I've seen that a lot. Well, and especially folks. for certain types that don't feel understood, whether like me as a nine, I don't even understand myself. So it was like, so awesome to read like, oh yeah, that's how I would put words to this, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But as of type four to to constantly feel that people do not understand and that you don't belong than to have this text that can speak directly to your experience and um, understand you on a, on a very deep level, I'm sure was also very relieving. Like, oh, there are words to this. There is, this is known. I am seen. Does that feel true for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. I mean, I think it took me a while to even accept though like even some of the like the parts of the four that are sometimes really valued because I didn't see myself fully as a four. Oh, okay. So like fours are often known to be really creative mm -hmm. or really like want to be really unique. And I think that there's truth to that, but it's almost like that was a layered underneath so many of my coping. Yes strategies. Well, and I'd love and, to, like, if we could just take a moment, because I think what you were saying about the different layers of coping strategies, we were talking before we hopped on this podcast. So I know that you'll be able to integrate this really well. So in our book, More Than Your Number, um, we talk about how we have varying parts. So you, with your type four, you have your wounded child type four part and your beloved child type four part. So the, the one that has these ill-informed, not helpful strategies and the one that's wise and trusts their identity in Christ and the truth. But then we also have four other connecting parts, your two wings and the two Enneagram paths, which are the ones you're connected to on the symbol. And those are parts of us. And what I'm hearing from you as a self-preservation for tenacity, the things that I'm picking up that I'm hearing is that your type three part that is confident getting things done, being a leader, um, getting out there and performing and achieving showed up a lot. Mm -hmm. Also your type one part, the one that you're connected to in the line, mm -hmm. like here's the mm -hmm. right way to do it. Here's the responsible way. I, people are going to see me as a leader. Those parts to me sound like they, and then I'm sure the five part brought in a lot of knowledge and insights and mm -hmm. stuff, but all these parts were presenting in such a way that people didn't see the deep pain and the suffering that was going on. Does, is that ring true for you? Absolutely. And, and just to make it even more of a party, um, <laughs> my type two <laughs> part would then, um, if, if would show up with what I, you know, what I would identify as fawning. Um, so the trauma response of over accommodating, um, oh, what do you need? Oh, I, I can do that for you. I can give more. Um, I can sort of become who you want me to be because it doesn't really feel safe to be seen. Um, it doesn't feel safe to have my authentic needs. It's like, I need you to be, um, if you're taken care of, then I can rest. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, those absolutely like the three, you know, three, one, two, um, all of those, those parts, I have done some really hard work for me in my life. They have carried a lot of pain for me. Um, and, and it has been to 
and we talk about this in the book, it's important to understand that that's going on, to welcome them, to befriend them, to nurture them, to uh, guide them into a healthier space because they haven't felt seen, they haven't felt heard or attuned to um, all these years. And they've just tried their best to support you. Now, sometimes if it's following the wounded child, they're doing it in ways that are not beneficial, but they're really trying their best. And so the more we can welcome them and tend to them, the more they're going to move into that beloved space and in the healthier direction. And so I think that's really beautiful. And which makes, again, sense why you don't outwardly present as a type four as people expect you to, because these parts have really done the hard work in surviving. And we're thankful for that. And at the same time, we need to continue to encourage them towards growth as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, here's the good news. I remembered this verse and it finally came to me. I pieced it together from various uh, caves in my brain. <laughs> but because um, I, I want to make sure that we, we get to you taking a deep dive into your book, but it comes from Psalm 62. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that mm-hmm. power belongs to God and that you, O Lord, belong steadfast love. Mm-hmm. Now, your book title strong like water is itself a parable, uh, a wise saying. Um, And it sounds a little bit different than try softer. So what, what was it that drew you to this idea of writing a book with that title, Strong Like Water? We'll be back after a quick break. Moms, it's here. Registration is open for Enneagram for Moms cohort. Yes, from May 6th to May 13th, you can grab your spot to be in one of the cohorts with moms of the same Enneagram type, plus with a certified Enneagram coach leading the way. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing to be with like-minded moms who really understand what it's like to be on your journey as a mom from your type? Yes, it will feel so validating, reassuring, affirming, encouraging. You don't have to mom alone anymore. Go to yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts to grab your spot today because there's only 25 spots available for each cohort. Now we have a cohort for all nine types in the daytime and one in the evening. But when the spots are filled up, they're gone. So grab your spot today at yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts. The groups start the week of June 10th and go until the week of July 29th. There are 90-minute sessions, and there's eight of them. Plus, you'll get a free Facebook group community where you can continue the conversation with one another. Join today. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it really... It's almost like the work of learning to try softer. It could not help, I think, but birth a book about strength, <laughs> ironically, because I, I really believe, I mean, this and this is the, like, I, I love titles that make you have to stop to think. I just, like, I, I love it. I love, I love packing meaning into something very small and concise, you know, and strong like water. I love the picture of that because it's this way of being in the world that is sort of a little bit subversive in the sense that it's like, we think we know what strength is. I, you know, I think in our culture, we really tend to celebrate a certain version of strength. And again, going back to my story, it's like I could have, I could keep those parts just running and, and outwardly that would be called very strong, but who would be suffering is me, you know? And I, and I believe that's not God's heart for us. And yet I believe God is the author of strength. And just like that verse, that song, that, that power belongs to God, right? 
and that there's so there's this paradox that we live with like what does it mean to embody this reality that we're beloved and yet have the resources to show up to a world that is imperfect that is unsafe that is in process like there must be ways that God resources us and i believe that God does and so there's a sense in which strong like water is the invitation to rethink how we view strength, that it's not to dishonor how we survive, you know, like just like what we talked about with with my story, like I don't dishonor my parts for how they've helped me survive. Frankly, I didn't have much choice and and I believe it was the grace of God that I could survive, you know? And at the time, um, that was what was really kind of available. <laughs> and that God makes a way. And so there's this sense in which we can be, like we can transform. Even as you were talking earlier, Beth, about this idea of moving from that place of um, that woundedness to belovedness is so, is there's a similar heart to that in Strong Like Water. Um, when I talk about this concept of, you know, the flow of strength. And, and the flow of strength is really about honoring that on one side, we have situational strength. And that situational strength is essentially its survival energy. It's like whatever your body is, you know, perceiving that there's threat, we will respond from that lower part of our brain and do the best we can to survive. And then ideally, it will be brief and temporary, and our body will metabolize that energy, and we will kind of come back into safety a little bit, and we will move to transitional strength. And that transitional strength is where we begin to sort of have access to more of like our adult self, our prefrontal cortex. We have some choices. Um, and what that means is, is that rather than only living from survival strength, we can say, um, you know, yeah, this person is still frustrating me and I'm aware of that and I have choices. What does that part of me need to be able to um, either settle or move that energy through? And then as we offer that to ourselves, sort of in partnership with God, we continue to move along that flow of strength towards integrated strength. And this is the place, and this is a place I'm excited about and something I almost didn't really get to write about as much in Trisofter because I just, in a way, wasn't quite ready to. Um, but integrated strength, I would say, is a little bit more of a place of solidness. There is a sense of completion in our body. Um, and again, it's not that everything, it's not like we're finished. It's not like, oh, I'll never have an issue again. It's, it's more like the thing that came up that created activation in our body was able to move all the right way through. And now we can sort of observe it. We can learn from it. We can be like, you know, that thing that happened where that person you know, really activated me. What I'm noticing is that um, I went into that, you know, that situation. I hadn't eaten lunch. <laughs> that person also reminds me of so-and-so who was really hurtful to me a couple years ago. But I'm just really recognizing that I have choices and that this person truly is a different person. Like that would be an example of moving all the way through. Yeah. And really having a sense of because choice. It, it, we're going to be activated. And I think a lot of times people will shame themselves or guilt themselves that they got activated again. But that's just normal life. That's that is just your body's response to something. But what you're saying is not staying in that situational position, but moving forward. Um, it's interesting uh, hearing you use these categories of situational, transitional, integrated and flow of strength. When Early on, as I coped with my own woundedness, um, my process was typically I would start to ruminate uh, with this kind of incessant thinking in my head. Um, 
my body would respond with the loss of affect. I've realized that over time, uh, just based upon my facial structure, it can. I, I've learned to use it to get people away because I can look angry when I'm thinking, when I lose a- affect. You're just very stoic. Very stoic. And my, my friends will even call me out on it. My family will call me out on it. Uh, my daughter was even joking the other day, like some friends asked, like, is your dad happy? Like, he looks angry. He goes, oh, no, he's just thinking he loves this place. <laughs> so she knows how to interpret her dad. Um, but I, my initial part, I, I, I'd go to five uh, on the Enneagram and start look, reading books. As I have aged and been doing a 12-step recovery group for a number of years now, I've noticed that I'm less inclined to go to Amazon. Whereas it was a very quick response to go and figure this out. Sure. Um, now it's almost like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling the fear in the moment. I'm feeling the anxiety about something. Uh, and I've learned to one, uh, the vocabulary, and you talk about, a lot about emotions and honoring what you are feeling, uh, to honor it in the moment. And then to, to simply reflect back my experience in the relationship where I don't feel like, okay, I need to go try to figure this out somehow, uh, which is more situational because what inevitably would happen is I might speed read or skim a book, but it would never provide solutions uh, just within a few hours. I mean, I could end up reading 10 books depending on how engaged I got in it, but uh, it it only lasted for a moment and it never resolved the angst. As it relates for you, Bethy, what... What do you think, what does the situational strength look like for you? And what does it look like for you whenever you start to, you've started to grow and where you're starting to affirm your own heart, your own identity, find your own voice? Yeah. So kind of, and we talked about this beforehand, so Andy's up to speed on, on things. But when I kind of look back, you know, to when I was younger as a little girl type nine, um, I was really trying hard. Fawning was definitely my go-to. People pleasing, accommodating. I don't know what adverb to put on top of fawning, but it was a it was a. You were really good at it. Oh, very good at it. I'm very skilled at it. <laughs> my nine part has dialed it in. Um, People can get very good at fawning. Yes, and to the and to the extent that others really don't know. That it's funny. That it's happening. I mean, really, when you've done it your whole life, you get really good at it. Yeah. Which is why that internal listening is so valuable. So just as a side note, but I don't want to derail you. But no, I believe you. I believe you. And, you know, I used it as a little girl really to first and foremost gain the affection of an older brother. And he's an older brother. You know, like I'm a little sister. Let's like just, you know, you can kind of picture what that would be like. And I'm just curious, though, would you have thought that your fawning was strength? Yeah, I think I've always seen it actually as a strength. I think it's only in my later years that I've noticed it. it is when my beloved child part is in the lead and I'm using that same strength, it slips into um, not being authentic, not being real, not being assertive or um, direct with how I'm feeling. And so that gets into a whole different category of people pleasing and codependence. So that's not healthy, but the ability to accommodate, to be flexible, to go along with people and to enjoy that process when I'm wanting to, you know, it's a desire of mine. I think that's great. That's a huge strength. Oh, I, I mean, as I think about the culture around and community around your Enneagram coach, your capacity to be able to affirm each Enneagram type and to see something in them that maybe they didn't see themselves mm-hmm. is another way of that strength exactly. showing up as a leader. So I do see that strength. I think it's in my more recent years that I've actually been made aware of as I've done my own recovery work, um, how fawning has played a role in an unhealthy way. Yeah. Um, because I think it actually comes across to others as this really beautiful strength. Like, oh, she's so kind. She's so loving. And that's true. And it is detrimental to me and the, and what I, what's happening. Um, and so in situations in my growing up, which has then 
also been taken from there and transitioned to now is I would try to make everyone happy as a nine is like, I'm good and okay. If everyone is happy, which nobody in the world is ever happy. So it's like, it's so sad for us nines. It's like, darn it. Like it's never going to happen. <laughs> so sad, but we keep trying. We keep trying. Um, but so like That's trying to so make, keep. <laughs> you can hear the exhaustion in my voice. Uh, yeah. But even as a little sister, you know, trying to people please and be cool and not annoying and like be the coolest soccer player at my age so that my brother would be proud of me. And, you know, um, but ultimately I'm still four years younger, you know, ultimately like I'm not going to be the cool sister when you're that much younger, your brother's, you know, 12 and you're eight. That's a huge gap. Um, and so I never got as a nine, especially a one-to-one nine, I never got the connection I was really looking for and needing. And, and therefore I kept fawning even harder. I kept trying to people please even more. And it perpetuates into a cycle of I can never get there. So then I found myself isolating. Well, if all I'm going to get is that I'm not the cool sister and I'm not the the friend that I'm looking for, then I'll just be by myself. That's safer because then I will have less um, visual and situational representation that I am not enough. Um, okay. So loneliness, which is one of the, I mean, nines love our independence and our autonomy, but true loneliness, disconnection, not having harmony is our greatest fear. So that kind of loneliness or being alone was both absolute loneliness and yet at the same time safety. So, Andy, when you, I mean, I'm trying to remember the word. It's transitional something. Is it? Transitional strength. Okay. I thought that was it. I just want to make sure. But so, and you mentioned it earlier from like, you couldn't have written strong like water at the time that you wrote Try Softer. But in the mm-hmm. process of doing your own work and push, pushing into the the fray of your own story, something else emerged strong like water. And moving from the this situational strength you talk about in the book that it's in this transitional phase, which is where the growth happens. Mm-hmm. That's where mm-hmm. r- recognizing that your vulnerability, uh, recognizing your powerlessness over situations is not weakness, but it's actually you start to develop strength mm-hmm. uh, in this space. Tell us about, because the book, what I found so helpful is that it's, they are skills to live in transitional strength. It's what this book is trying to get us to. Like, when this mm-hmm. happens, here's an exercise to do. Yeah. So tell yeah. us about that space of transitional strength. And then we can use it for me so I can learn how to <laughs> well, do this Well, better. use it for all of us. You're not the only one of the stories. <laughs> As a nine, I get to be selfish for once. <laughs> no, no. I just thank you for sharing, both of you, what you did. And I think, you know, I, I know you are not. The only ones. I mean, just naming what you are is so important. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, one of the things I really emphasize in Strong Like Water is that there is a sense in which transitional strength is where I kind of say it like this is where the magic happens. And and what I mean by that is magic is happening both when we're moving from situational tra- to transitional, but also when we're moving from transitional to integrative. It's it's like both of those spaces. And it and when we're thinking about it, it's sort of like there's this range where we are we can be uncomfortable but we're not in a place of harm. So for folks who are familiar with like the window of tolerance, if you've read the if you've read Try Softer things like that, when I'm talking about this transitional space, what it is is it's the range where you have I think of it like you have one foot in your window, which means you can tolerate what you're experiencing. And maybe you have one foot in sort of like either your sympathetic nervous system. So that's like fight, 
flight potentially fawning. So there's a both and there. But it could also be one foot in the window and one foot in like being frozen, feeling dissociated, exhausted. Here's what I want you to hear with that is that there is a that there's a both andness. Mm-hmm. And that's what is allowing for the growth to happen. Right. Now, when we think about this flow of strength, the mechanism that is moving us is what is what I call compassionate resourcing. Okay. So to frame this a little bit, what I mean when I say that is when you have an experience that cues danger to your body, mm-hmm. depending on how significant the danger is, is the level to which your situational strength comes online. Okay. So let's say you're about to cross the street. You almost get hit by a car. Your situational strength goes, move me out of the way. So right. you move out of the way really quickly. The The cue of safety there is that your body's like, oh, I didn't get hit. Mm-hmm. So you begin to observe, okay, I'm okay. That's over. So on the flow of strength, what's literally happening is you're moving out of situational. You are going into transitional and you're like, oh, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Maybe your heart's still beating. So you're like, you're like shaking your, your arms a little bit. 15 minutes later, you're like, okay, all right, I'm, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon later, you're like, you know what? Next time I need to look, I need to look both ways. Mm-hmm. Like I need to, I need to make sure I'm paying a little closer attention. Like In that process, what's happening is your body is picking up cues of safety. Mm -hmm. So we don't we don't just accidentally move along the flow of strength. It happens when we have the support and the resources, when our body perceives that we have the support and resources to allow us to move along that flow of strength. So, Jeff, when you mention these resources, this is what we're talking about, is that depending on what we're experiencing, we're going to probably want to pick a different resource. And what I mean when I say resource is uh, Dr. Ariel Schwartz defines resources as anything that communicates safety to our bodies in the present moment. So... You know, when we think about that, like for someone, for example, who has a a history of childhood trauma, their experience of going into situational strength, like perhaps like let's use fawning because I think that's one that lots of folks develop. That's a, that's a very common strategy that fawning comes up and, and you're just like feeling like, oh, I'm just leaving myself. It's like, I don't want to go to this thing. And you're like, yes, I'll go to that thing. And everything in you is like, I want to puke because what am I doing? Right? This is a sign that our body is giving us information. Like We feel so unsafe in that moment that we don't like have the internal resources to tell what, what we actually feel and need. So some examples in this situation of, of that cue of safety, you know, part of it might be, depending on how deep we are in that moment, it might be something that we have to sort of come back to after we leave the situation. Like there may not be enough safety in that moment for your brain to be like, I can't do this. But let's say we get back into a space where we're home and we're with someone that our body is beginning to co-regulate with. And all of a sudden we're beginning to notice like, oh, I just like really like left myself. Like I kind of betrayed myself in that situation. Now I can at least do some recovery about like, okay, so what would I need? Oh, I'm going to have this person, you know, I'm going to have my my safe person sit next to me while I send the text that says, hey, I misspoke. I'm so sorry about that. And, and that person maybe is supporting us as we do that. Like 
that might seem like it's not meaningful, but when our body is picking up the cue of safety, it begins to shift. And so within the book, I have a whole myriad of things from the most basic, things like grounding, to a little bit more advanced things that are a little bit like, okay, how do we break this thing that feels really big into pieces so that we can um, sort of stay in transitional strength and continue to move through it? Yeah, that's so, so helpful. Like everything you just said, I'm like filtering it through my own story. Because <laughs> like, I know that there are, there are times that, and Jeff, you've seen it, obviously, there are times that I get so activated from my past story. Let's say you're upset or frustrated, but it's like normal. But what that does to me and my wounded child, little Bethy, she gets so activated that, see, you didn't make Jeff happy. You didn't come through. And all of a sudden I'm in this situational strength dynamic where I'm like, I'm just, it's like, I can't, I'm just in the limbic system. I'm just reacting. Like I can't even think past that. But what I've noticed is if you or I are able to bring something that regulates me, then it's in those moments that I can go, okay, hold on. I know I'm still feeling like Jeff must hate me, which you've never never said or indicated. I've I've never, I've never said that. I know. Well, (laughs) parts of me think you have, but you haven't. And so that that part of me thinks, oh, he he hates me. But then my beloved child comes in and says, that has never been true. That has never been true. And he's never indicated that, never shown that. And it's that part of my heart that gets in that transitional strength part where it can help me help my little Bethy part, my wounded part to go, I know you feel that and think that, but what's true is that you are loved. You are cared for. You are seen. And so I can kind of see where that transitional space can be. But I do know from what you're saying, like if I, if I am just in little Bethy space, she cannot hear, she cannot cope. She cannot discuss what's going on. She needs time to, like you said, like right after a car crash, she needs time to get some space to think, to process, to allow my internal world to calm down just enough to get into that transitional space so that I can hear the truth. I can speak the truth into my own life, which then brings me into that integrative place. So like everything you're saying, I'm like, yes, I can see it. Yes. Well, where I see it, sweetie, in our relationship is, uh, and I'll use Gottman's term for it, accepting my influence. Um, Mm. So we'll use a recent experience with our closet. We've got this nicely shelved closet that we put in our home and uh, Beth went through and reorganized the closet. And and you said a ton of times how grateful you were and it's awesome. Thank you. Uh, but <laughs> but Beth decided that all the things that were stored in the closet would be on my side of the closet. So her side looks clean, debris-free, storage-free. My side is filled to the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I made a um, a a, com- a a need disguised as a criticism or joke, sarcasm, and you were hurt by it. And because you thought you were you were trying to honor me and please me. My accommodating part was like, oh, so when you walk into the closet, you mainly first see my side and what's straight ahead. So what if it looks cleaner and more spacious for all that see, including Jeff, so that, but when you enter the closet, the other side that you don't see as readily and easily is the one that has more of the storage stuff. Which is my side of the closet. Right. So, <laughs> so you got spun out. Yeah, like, I got spun like, out because my accommodating part was thinking about us and you yep. and trying to make the best yes. decision for the aesthetic, the look, the feel. And going back to growing up and being teased, your you, the way that you 
said your need to not have your side so full was through teasing or yes. a sarcastic question, which only activated yes. the wound from my past instead of being thankful or asking a question, a clarifying question about why I did that and hearing the thoughtfulness in what I was trying to do. And then, and then asking just directly like, Hey, that, thank you so much for being mindful, but could we find another way of doing this? Cause it does feel a bit much on my side. Like I, I would have accepted that way more than sarcasm because sarcasm feels like teasing, which only activates like I'm not good enough. He's upset with me. And so I went to that space and it took quite I'm a while. I'm not a good enough wife. Right. I mean, there's, and that's not what you were saying, but right. because of my past wounds, that's where I go. But where the what what happens in that moment? So you're now relying on a situational strength. Mm-hmm. Is that then later on when uh, we got spun out, we were talking about something else, and then that situation came up again. Mm-hmm. Um, one. Um, you accepted my invitation to talk about what was really going on versus just the immediate, you know, above the iceberg stuff. Right. And which is big for you yeah. to accept entering into conflict, safe conflict or is tension. a strength, is something that was very difficult for you in the past. Would be difficult for many times. Like, you mean difficult. I'm going to find healing by entering into this conflict? Yeah, can't we there, just like push it, sweep it under the rug? That's right. But then... Even you show strength in differentiating between these accommodating parts of you and hearing me. So you'll use language like, well, parts of me hear your apology and doesn't believe you. But there's another part of me that does believe you because I have trust with you. Mm -hmm. But it's really hard because I'm really hurt. Like that is profound strength to, I mean, in some ways overcome what you're experiencing in your body. And even at one point, I made a comment, and you immediately got flooded. Like, and you're like, I it, I can't remember what phrase did you use? I said, which I never would have said this in the past. Ever. I said, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I said, for some reason. Yes. I do not want to talk anymore. And we stayed in the present moment, but you were like, I'm just curious why. And I explained, literally, you just made a phrase that was truth but kind of shattered a lot of the way I viewed my past in a way that helped me cope. But your capacity to hold that moment, to honor what you were experiencing, to name that you were flooded, Mm. to name the grief in the moment, and to remain present patiently present. So it wasn't like a demand, like we have to keep talking, but is profound strength that maybe in re- previous years, you might not have no, believed you had the strength to do that. I couldn't have. Mm-mm. I, yeah. I mean, I, if I may, I, yes. um, when I, when I hear that, like, I think that's just a beautiful mark of hearing the shift. Mm. Even that language, and I know that's parts language, when, you know, when we say like a part of me is aware that or yeah. a part of me is feeling. Um, one of the the things I talk about in the book, though, because there's a lot of overlap with like interpersonal neurobiology um, and just understanding, you know, the nervous system that we, one of the cues that we're, that we're moving into transitional strength is that we can, we can think about thinking. Mm -hmm. We can sort of create and experience a little bit of distance internally. And it doesn't mean that the thing that we're holding isn't still hard Mm -hmm. or disturbing or activating. But even, I mean, I would agree that that is strength in the sense that holding two dualities is not easy. You know, in fact, I think <laughs> right. there is a sense in which this transition, that's why transitional strength is in many ways just this. Um, it's, it's, it's sort of like wilderness it, a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, in terms of our journey of like, we're doing like there's, you know, Brene Brown talks about we rumble. There is a bit of a rumble that happens as we learn to hold a truth about 
you know, that we are loved or that we have, uh, you know, a certain uh, value, all of those things. And we're holding all these other truths that are like about how we've experienced things, mm-hmm. about what our body is maybe um, still holding, what is still hard, because there's a sense in which that is still true. Yeah. And we hold that. Yeah. Um, and one of the other things that I just wanted to name is that what becomes available to us as we travel this flow of strength is actually exactly what you uh, sort of identified, Jeff. And I talk about this a little bit later in the book about like this idea of being able to be emotionally flexible, that nervous system flexibility can be a resource. Hmm. But oftentimes it's sort of like, and you kind of describe this, I think, Beth, but um, I think of a snow globe. Like when you are in really in situational strength, I'm just like, you know, like you're just shaking it up. You're like, I don't know which way is which. Shaking up a two liter bottle. Because as the instinctual subtype or the, I mean, I'm sorry, the gut triad nines, we have this passion, this, this visceral feeling inside of anger or passion, whatever you want to call it. But it's like a two liter Coke bottle that you have the lid really tight on it and life and circumstances or this that certain certain circumstances is shaking it up and as a nine it's like i'm about ready to pop this lid and explode and that is so fearful because that is going to bring harm to this relationship and the dynamics and mm-hmm. so we just want to go away but that snow go illustration like for a for a six all the snow are the thoughts <laughs> right like I've got a million thoughts from a million different angles on this situation uh, in order to kind of calm. And yeah, my inclination is to jump in and keep shaking it versus, hey, how about let's just set it down. good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, that's interesting because I do think like different, different uh, types Mm -hmm. would probably, like the the particles would represent different things. Yes. Like I think some people are, you know, they're more visceral and some people are going to be a little bit, you know, like more in their heads and some people, you know, there's going to be different versions of the way we experience the activation. Yes. Mm -hmm. But either way, what is true is that there's not clarity. Yeah. There is not a sense of groundedness. Mm-hmm. We are not anchored. We mm-hmm. and from a neurobiological perspective, I mean, just to be very practical, we what that means is we're not in our window, and that means we're also then not in our ventral vagal. And that ventral vagal is sort of like it's like trying to drive a car um, without like the right fuel. It's like ventral vagal is the fuel that's going to allow your car to operate and and go. Like you could go on a road trip with that and it will get you where you need to go because it's sort of generative. Our body, it's more sustainable. It is able to be nourished. But when we go outside of our window, it's like you got some sort of like hybrid something like that's not right for your car and it's going to burn out your engine. Like yeah, it might work for a little bit, but the cost is very high. So you only want to use that if you have like no other option. You know what I mean? Like, like that's how we use that gas. And so that vent- as that snow globe settles, I know I've got tons of different analogies going here, but as the snow globe settles, right, we begin to have clarity. We begin to kind of come home to the knowledge of who we really are, a little bit more of the resources of like, oh, how have, for example, Jeff and I dealt with issues in the past? Oh, yeah, we've we've gotten through a lot of um, different arguments or discussions, you know, and it's like, that's actually, that's a resource. Um, I'm an adult now and I am really capable. That's a resource. Um, here are all the people who have loved me through you know, come anything that comes my way. Here's all those people. That's a resource. When we begin to have an embodied connection to those types of cues of safety, that's where shifts happen. But when we force those shifts before our body is a, is perceptive, is attentive to it, we're going to be like, 
I got nothing for you. Like, you know what I mean? Like our body's going to be like, nope. (laughs) So we have to, that's why, you know, in all of my books, I always start in really anything I do. I always start with really basic safety, like Mm -hmm. creating safety things that I hope will help people to know it doesn't matter in some ways how long you've been doing this work. If we are really activated, or if we're really in situational strength, if we're really don't have access to sort of ourself, sort of our window of tolerance, we're going to need, we're going to actually need more and more safety to even begin to problem solve. Like we're not at problem solving yet. Right. We're just at restabilizing after experiencing that. Well, Andy, I want to ask one more question before we go. And it's about your writing style. Mm -hmm. There's several times uh, in reading the book, I notice you'll start a paragraph with like, dear reader, Mm -hmm. where I almost get the sense like there's this kind, gentle presence that's Almost like whenever you want to talk to a child and you get down on your knee and you look them in the eye like, hey, buddy, I want you to know I'm here, but this is really important. Uh, Tell me about what it is that whenever you use a phrase like that, that you're trying Mm. to communicate to your readers as an author. Mm. What a great question. I don't think... Anybody's asked me that in exactly that way. So that's that's beautiful. Because um, I experienced it as care. Mm. Like you, you were lifting my head like, hey, let's get out of your head for a moment because I know you're processing a lot and I need you to hear me This because this is really important now. Mm-hmm. And it focused me. I'm so glad you experience it that way because, I mean, I think that is my desire. Um, I've been a therapist for 15 years. I have worked with many folks with lots of various types of trauma, and I know how hard this work is. I mean, because I've lived it, but I've also been there, like in the trenches, in the times when it's like, you know, the cycle of whatever was popular is now over, right? Mm. But the person, they are still carrying mm. their pain. And so I think for me, my desire is that to the extent that I'm able, that that, that would be a cue of safety. That people, that it would help to soften that fear of like, oh man, this work is so hard. I don't know if I could do it. And And really for me, I mean, I deeply believe that this is God's posture to us. I deeply believe it. And so because that's true, it's like it is it is my great honor to extend that, to sort of extend that care and say, you matter. And I know you may not believe that right now. And I know it may be hard to believe, but I want you to know like I am, I'm with you and I see you. And it, as much as it's possible for you in this moment, I hope you can receive it. Yeah. Oh. Well, I, great job. I mean, it. it I can mm-hmm. feel you uh, experience as if you're reaching through the book, yeah. reaching through the text. So this is not some detached author writing about principles. This is uh, a person who's been down the path and wants to walk with you through it. So uh, grateful for how it comes through, uh, even in your writing. So, so Beth and I, big fans. And I don't even I don't know if fans even the right word for it because it, your 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 voice, your work is mm-hmm. benefiting our marriage. Mm-hmm. It has benefited our parenting mm-hmm. and parenting young adults now. And now with your Enneagram coach, it continues to inform yeah. even how we apply the Enneagram. So we are grateful for you. And to our listeners, we, we can't stress this enough. And I I get it. I, I Just to cut through all of it, I get it that, hey, there are a lot of authors that are on podcasts telling you to go buy their book. I like the 
Andy's two books now are the books on the shelf that are well worn mm -hmm. and highly recommended that we refer to people. This is not just, hey, here's the author's uh, palling around on a podcast. <laughs> this really, really matters. And Beth and I will continue to have more and more conversations yeah. uh, because of Andy's book. So we can't stress it enough. Yeah. And, I mean, go pre-order it now. It comes out March 21st. That's so right. if you pre-order it, the greatest thing about pre-ordering is that it will land on your doorstep the day it releases. So yes. just go do it now because <laughs> right. you're going to want to have this. That's right. And and as Andy mentioned earlier, there's so many practical exercises that are very nuanced, that things that you would think like, huh, that could really help me. Uh, and they're simple exercises, uh, reflective exercises that are so, so helpful. Yeah. So, well, Andy, where can people find you and access more of the resources that you provide people? Well, first, I just have to say thank you so much for just that generous support. And I appreciate you both so much. It really means the world. Um, you can find me on Instagram um, at Andy Colber, Twitter at Andy Colber and AndyColber.com. I've got resources on my website that I would love for you to check out. Well, awesome. Well, thank you. We really appreciate your time. And uh, hey, friends, if you found this podcast to be helpful, be sure to uh, share it along with friends and start gathering a group of other people to that are safe, that want to join you on the journey uh, to maybe read this book together. Yeah. Uh, and thanks a lot for joining us. We're so blessed for each and every one of you who join us and listen to the podcast and watch us on YouTube. If you're interested in diving deeper into learning uh, to have strength like water, you can reach out to Andy. And if you're wanting to go further in your own Enneagram uh, understanding and your type and how that expresses itself, uh, you can actually head over to myenneagramcoach.com where you can uh, find one of our thousands of coaches that are, uh, would be able to help you in the season of life that you're in. And for those who desire to bless others with the Enneagram and then taking our Become an Enneagram Coach course, this may be perfect for you. In fact, we're actually opening registration for the course on uh, February 28th, which is right around the corner. And you can learn more by attending one of our free webinars. Beth uh, will guide you through a full experience of our Become an Enneagram Coach course. So if you've ever desired to pass along your experience with the Enneagram to another person and bless them from right where you are at, um, you'll want to be sure to take, pick up the course. You can become an excellent Enneagram coach and we'll show you how. Sign up for one of our free webinars for the week of February 28th to learn all about our training. To reserve your seat, go to www.enneagramwebinar.com. Yep, that's enneagramwebinar.com because I know that you were... I was about to say your because I yeah, want to put your I on know, all of it. But it's enneagramwebinar.com. Well, guys, we are so blessed to have you. But what we really want you to hear is to always remember that the Enneagram reveals your need for Jesus, not your need to work harder. It is the gospel that transforms us. Thanks for joining us.